G'day mate, Forty here. So, are you curious about what political reporters know about Cassidy Hutchinson, but just won't tell you? Seems like there's a widespread belief among political reporters in Washington, D.C. about how Cassidy Hutchinson enjoyed her meteoric rise to the top, but they're just not telling you. They'll hint about it to you, but they just won't say it out loud. And it's the obvious thing. How does a young woman with no experience achieve an unprecedented meteoric rise to the top of power in the Trump administration? And they keep hinting about it, but they won't come out and explicitly tell you because you're, you're just not worthy of finding out what's really going on. And so, what's really going on is the Tracy Fleck character, played by Reese Witherspoon in the movie Election, which was based on a novel. The movie came out in 1999. And uh, this young woman made these very strategic alliances with older men who she would sleep with and then discard. And the Washington Post is effectively telling you this, but they're not saying the quiet part out loud, but it doesn't take a genius to read between the lines to, to twig what's, what's really going on. And there's an interesting dynamic here. When you put them on the spot and ask them about it, they'll say, ah, oh, I just can't talk about it, or worse to that effect when, when asked to comment on her. But it's widely believed by political news reporters in Washington, D.C. that the way she achieved her meteoric rise to the top at age 23, 24, how she became known as Chief Cassidy, wasn't purely because of her excellence in her job skills, right? How do, how do you know, beautiful young people achieve meteoric rises in importance when they form alliances with older men? It's not just uh, bonding over common values. It wasn't because the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was so impressed by her perspective on social security or on uh, the, the child tax credit or by her wisdom about dealing with COVID. So Cassidy Hutchinson was about to turn 24, and she was already a key official at the White House. This was the Washington Post story earlier this week. She enjoyed a meteoric rise from obscurity. What you have to do to achieve a meteoric rise from obscurity when you're a beautiful young woman? She doesn't have any particular skills that would account for her meteoric rise from obscurity. So the news media is effectively telling you that this young woman you know, enjoyed a rise to the top based on her relationship with Mark Meadows, and it wasn't just a purely uh, platonic relationship with Mark Meadows. All right, she, she got in with this older guy, and she she connected at a very deep and intimate level, and. That's why she rose to the top. But it's just curious that they don't want to tell you this. Right? So she had this dramatic testimony. Right? 
it. What kind of young woman, you know, she's just 25, so what kind of young woman can uh, manipulate the levers of power, right? Knows how to stroke the levers of power. Knows how to work her way up the greasy pole to the, to the top of power, right? You know, what, what type of, of character is able to provide such riveting, dramatic testimony against uh, the people that she had at one time embraced. It's a certain mercurial quality of a Tracy Flick character in the movie Election, who gets in with people, uh, gives them what they want. Now, what do older men want from beautiful young women? Uh, adoration, right? That, that, that certain look in the eye, it's like, oh wow, you're so amazing. Wow. I, I'd just do anything I could to to show you how amazing you are. Right? The, the older men get, the more they want appreciation. The more they want uh, someone to look up to them. The more they want you know, gratitude, particularly when it's expressed in a very visceral, concrete, and physical manner. Right? So she's a player. Right? She's an adventurous. Right? Steve Saylor came up, or didn't, he didn't come up with the term adventurous, but he, he's been hammering on of, with, with the term adventurous. So, so who is the, uh, who is the adventurous? It's usually a beautiful young woman, and uh, she knows how to get ahead. Look, we're talking about a Kamala Harris type character. How did Kamala Harris, how did the Vice President of the United States get her start in politics? She served Willie Brown in a variety of positions. Kamala Harris got her beginning in politics as Willie Brown's mistress. Right, she was adventurous. So this is you know, probably the, the best description of Kamala Harris. This is uh, Steve Saylor making the point. Adventurous would be a good description of Kamala Harris's fabulous career. It's not that she has particular skills that are just so amazing. Right? She's unpopular. Uh, people don't like her. She's not particularly adept at, uh, at politics, but apparently she was very adept in the bedroom. The best and the brightest don't go into politics in Anglo countries usually. Good point, John Smith. Yeah, Kamala Harris learned the hard truths of politics while studying under Mayor Willie Brown. And it appears that Cassidy Hutchinson learned the hard truths of politics while studying under Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. So Steve Saylor talks about, uh, since April 2014, I've been trying to revive the useful old world adventurous means a reasonably good-looking heterosexual woman who manipulates other people into all sorts of drama. Sound like Cassidy Hutchinson? Some of 2014's special brand of craziness, Sterlinggate, Gamergate, now UVA Rapergate, exploded so jaw-droppingly, revolves around fairly attractive women playing the political correctness card for their own complicated ends. So remember Andrea Dworkin, 
she announced in The Guardian in 1999 that she'd been raped in her locked and deadbolted hotel room in Paris after the hotel staff conspired to put a date rape drug in her beverage. Now, this is you know, a highly obese, unhappy, and not quite right in the head woman. <laughs> now, ever since the Obama campaign and administration revived feminism and other forms of victimism, G'day, Jim. G'day, John. 9.30 p.m. here in Sydney. And you're working hard. Yeah, I miss Coogee Beach, mate. I miss, miss my time in Sydney. So, the Obama administration revived feminism and other forms of victimism. And adventuresses have come flocking to exploit feminism and victimism. So, victimism is cool again now that we've got a, a Democrat in power. So attractive women tend to have fewer problems than unattractive ones. But when our society, starting with the White House, relentlessly encourages reasonably attractive women to proclaim themselves victims, watch out. People are hardwired to like and believe attractive young women, so it's pretty easy to be an adventurous, and they can wreak a lot of havoc. And so Cassidy Hutchinson is the star of the hearing. Like, what kind of person is so adept at pushing the right buttons? Stroking the right levers of power, like bringing the levers of power to a frothy climax all over national TV in front of millions of people become the number one news item. All right, it's a certain type of woman. It's the, it's the adventurous. And then uh, remember Jackie? She was the... She was the key character in that, that made-up uh, Rolling Stone gang rape story that came out at 4 a.m. Tuesday, December 2nd, right? She, she theorized there was this nine-man conspiracy to rape her. And there are all these puzzling scenes in which Jackie's friends and female mentors tell her to cheer up and to get over it. If you read the article closely, you'll notice that almost everybody who knows Jackie closely treats her about the same way you'd treat a friend starts talking about having been abducted by aliens. You try to find out what the actual real thing that happened to her was, but if she keeps talking about alien rectal probing, you try to change the subject. So sometimes you should not exploit, you know, these disturbed, unsettled young women. So it turns out that Jackie's real story appears to be a Gillian Flynn Gone Girl novel come to life. So the Washington Post is doing everything but saying the quiet part out loud. So in Trump's White House, Cassidy Hutchinson had extraordinary access, right? They're, they're pointing out this is not a normal story. This is not just someone rising to the top through her competence, right? And in the eyes of many White House staffers, she had inordinate power, meaning she was a young woman with no particular skills who was elevated to the top because she knew how to stroke off Mark Meadows. Right. When, when uh, members of White House staff are calling you Chief Cassidy derisively, right, it's not because you're just so politically astute. 
What time is it in LA, mate? It is 4.29 a.m. What a great time of the day to get up and begin live streaming. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing about uh, political reporters in Washington, D.C. They don't want to say this part out loud. So, John Smith talks about 2021 census results have been released. Australia has been swamped. It's been made more vibrant, bro. More vibrant. You need to use the, the proper terminology. Pauline Hansen has an impeccable track record of ticking off her supporters and leaving them feeling betrayed. Luke, have you heard of that woman who climbed up to the rank of CEO in that finance company? Turned out she'd done amateur porn. She was 24 and previously worked in retail. Yeah, this is the great thing. When you get a connection with people, it gives you energy. Right? You get connected with people, you create a shared reality with people, you get into a rhythm with people like we're doing right now. Right? You build the shared reality, and out of that you get energy. So it may be 4 a.m. here in L.A., but I'm energized because I am connected. I'm connected to you connected to people outside of the internet as well. And I'm excited to share my ideas or my insights, right? This is invigorating to me because I get to come here with the two things that are most important to me. One, the sources of information, right? What I believe to be true in the world, how I read reality, how I read the news, how I understand books and articles and essays and public pronouncements. Right, so what I regard as valid sources of information. And two, I get to come with my moral values, what, what I believe is important, what I believe is, is true and what is good. Right, I get to come here with these two things, my, my most reliable source of information and my values, what, what I believe is to be right and wrong. And that's exciting when you get to come on a live stream with the parts of yourself that are most important to you. It's like, yeah, it wakes you up. So, yeah, I was awake by about 3.10 a.m. And I, I'm listening to a book on the history of Prussia. So Prussia was basically ended after World War II by the Allies. But prior to that, it had a very interesting five centuries of, of history. So should we always be suspicious of young women who climb the ranks in their organizations with extraordinary quickness? Uh, perhaps be alert that you may have an adventurous on your hands. Wow, nuns outnumber Christians in Australia. What does that bode for Australia? I am not sure it bodes anything. Australia is overwhelmingly a, a secular country, and uh, we're living in an extraordinary time. These are the first secular countries that we've seen in human history, and they are not dissolving. They're not just completely falling apart. Uh, Apparently, whether or not people are religious, it doesn't seem to have as much effect as we initially thought, all right? So we've got Israel's first religious prime minister, right? He, he recently resigned, Bennett, and uh, didn't turn out to make any difference he was religious. So religious usually just means a form of association. 
it usually just means uh, that, that you connect and, and join with this particular community. It doesn't actually make any difference in how you lead your life. So if now nuns, when it comes to religion, outnumber Christians in Australia, I'm not sure that's going to portend anything particularly significant. I don't think you're just going to fall into moral entropy and disorder. Australians don't venerate their minority groups like Americans do. Yeah, that, that's true. So Israel's first religious prime minister wasn't what you were expecting. Naftali Bennett was squeezed out of Israel's right by the Netanyahu court and naked Jewish supremacism. But his party's decline says much more about Jewish identity in the Jewish state. So Israel had its first religious prime minister and uh, it didn't make any difference to how he governed. Right? Didn't actually, didn't actually mean anything. Yeah, he wore the tiniest little yarmulke, right? very tiny yarmulke on his head, but uh, nobody really cared. So Jim Bowden went to school with our Prime Minister of Australia. Albanese is an old boy of my school, St. Mary's Cathedral of Sydney, who is known as Albus Lisi. Low average IQ, became an extreme far-left atheist at age 16. Well, he seems to be maneuvering his way quite effectively. Right? He's uh, moved towards the center. I think the decline of religion is emblematic of the nihilism of Aussies. So uh, Aussies nihilistic, certainly some of them are. Is that the pervading ethos in Australia? Or are they simply unwilling to publicly assent to the prevailing pieties. If you have a poor relationship with your father, you have a higher chance of becoming an atheist. Yeah, I think people tend to relate to God the same way that they relate to their fathers. So I had a distant relationship with my father. I didn't have much of a relationship with my father. I tend to have a fairly distant relationship with God. Almost all of my life I believed in God but the relationship has tended to be distant. So Albo has no dad. So John Smith, do you live in Australia? So there are these various reports that, yeah, Australia is a nihilistic, hedonistic society. I, I'm not sure how much uh, credence to give that analysis, but it's certainly a common analysis. Ah, okay. So, so you think that your fellow Aussies are nihilistic and hedonistic. Well, they're certainly about having a good time, right? They're certainly about a life of pleasure. They don't seem to be living for higher values beyond, you know, thrills, chills, excitement, pleasure, having a barbie. No, they're, they're definitely Aussies aren't, aren't bad people. Yeah, they tend to be community-minded. They tend to be friendly. They tend to have more mates than Americans. So mateship is a much stronger value in Australia than it is in America. So Australia is a more corporate society, meaning it's less individualistic than America. So for me, the differences were stark. So in Australia, you know, everyone's got their mates and you don't try to outshine your mates. You don't try to put yourself above your mates. While America's much more an individualist ethos, 
revolving around no, be all you can be. Yeah, Aussies are good people, but it's going to be harder to turn the tide. Well, Australians enjoy an unbelievable quality of life, right? Just on quality of life grounds, Australians beat Americans. Right, there's, there's less crime, there's less social dysfunction, there's more mateship, there's more community-mindedness, there's more we're in it together, right, in, in Australia. If, you, if you're thirsty, you can use someone's garden hose and, and not fear you're going to get shot. Don says, as I get older, I've begun to despise the rugged individualism of American culture. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's worthy of despising it, but it certainly comes with very significant downsides. So you're probably going to have much more mental illness in the American individualist ethos where you're expected to just con construct your identity. In Australia, your identity is much more given to you. So if I had lived all my life in Australia, it's very unlikely I would have converted to Orthodox Judaism or, or to any religion. You don't, generally speaking, convert to another religion in Australia. You have an identity at birth, and that's kind of the identity that you live with. You, you develop certain mates in childhood, and those are your, your mates, generally speaking, for life. You very early on attract into you know, either a higher-achieving academic category or you attract into a level where you'll leave school by 10th grade or 12th grade and, and go out and, and learn a trade. John says, rugged individualism is Americans' great undoing. It does not make ethnic loyalty. <clears throat> Noticing a lot more Australians are becoming evangelical. And it's for a similar reason to what you're talking about. People want to feel something. Right? They're not just content with going through the motions. So when you practice evangelical or charismatic religion, you're going to feel something. Right? It's, it's about a, a visceral experience with God. It's also what 12-step offers like i got to experience god in a, in a whole new way in 12-step also kundalini yoga i got to experience the transcendent in a whole new way with kundalini yoga so people want to feel alive people want to feel connected right people want energy and you get energy by connecting with others and there's perhaps no more powerful way of connecting with others than connecting through a religion that tries to make God real and, and concrete and exciting. And that's what Pentecostal and evangelical Christianity offer and the celebration trends in Orthodox Judaism, such as Hasidic Judaism, Shlomo Kalabach-style Judaism. It's a, a viscerally appealing, exciting way of connecting with, with the transcendent. So Jim says that Australia's Prime Minister's first mentor was Jack Mundy, an Irish old-time Union Aussie communist. Well, uh, Jim Uran, Dr. Jim Cairns, I remember Jim Cairns, he was involved in the, uh, the, the dissolution of the government in 1975 because he was having an affair with his very attractive advisor. The problem is Albo is not intellectually up to it. Well, I'm not sure you need to be intellectually up to it to be a successful Prime Minister. So, I'm not a lefty, but I don't know much about Albo, but it seems to me he ran a very effective campaign, and it seems to me that he's running a fairly effective government. So 
I'm not sure being intellectually up to it is a prime requirement for being an effective prime minister. Yeah. Aussies don't tolerate sectarianism. Yeah, they really don't like Seventh-day Adventists. So I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist in Australia, and I viscerally understood that uh, non-Adventist Australians didn't like us. So when I was growing up Adventist in Australia, Australia had more Adventists per capita than I think any other country in the world. Still, I think less than 1% of the country, but they were not popular. And if you see the movie Cry in the Dark, you hear this trucker talking about effing Adventists. Adventists keep the Seventh-day Sabbath, they have particular dietary restrictions, they, they don't drink beer, and so Australia has one dominant culture. So whether you're the garbage man or the prime minister, you very likely speak with the same accent. And so the advantage of Australia having one dominant culture is that it brings people together, it creates more social trust, more social cohesion, more social capital. The, the downside of not fitting into that one culture, such as if you're a traditional Orthodox Jew, is that you'll stand out and you'll get a bit of stick, right? You're not going to be particularly popular. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness or a Seventh-day Adventist, if you take religion seriously, you're going to stand out in a secular nation like Australia and you're not going to be popular, right? It's not multicultural like America. So I converted to... Orthodox Judaism in America, and it didn't create problems for me in wider society. You run the risk of getting glassed. So what does that mean, having, having, getting hit over the head by a bottle? So generally speaking, your chances of being a victim of violent crime in Australia are about 140th your chances of being the victim of violent crime in America. But yeah, there are like yeshiva students who occasionally get beat up. And so... I've talked to a lot of Orthodox Jews from Australia who find America a much more hospitable place. Like, it's a lot easier to be an Orthodox Jew in America than in Australia. Like, every time they, they'd walk to synagogue, they'd get, you know, verbally harassed. And I've heard stories of, like, yeshiva students in, in Australia getting beaten up because they, they stand out. But when I was back there recently, Australia has become more multicultural. And so there seems to be less animus towards sectarians these days in Australia compared to when I was growing up there 35 years ago. And yeah, if an Orthodox Jew gets beat up in, in Australia these days, it's probably not going to be by a native Australian, not going to be by a fed Nikim Aussie, all right? It will be some kind of ethnic conflict from the Middle East, you know, carried over to Australia and gracing Australia's shores. So, yeah, it, it's curious that uh, political reporters, they just, just can't talk about what's really going on with Cassidy Hutchinson. So, sounds like they all believe they know, right? All the political reporters in and around Washington, D.C. believe they know why Cassidy Hutchinson was so effective at climbing the greasy pole of power. And it had to do with that very intense and intimate connection she made with Mark Meadows. But uh, they just can't come out and say it because it is, it's a hard thing to write about. It's a hard thing to nail down. It's kind of distasteful. I remember I wrote about the mayor of Los Angeles that his marriage was, his marriage was over, likely, you know, out catting about. 
And that in turn out to be exactly right. Mayor Antonio Villagosa was carrying on a long-running affair with a newsreader on a TV, on a Spanish-language TV news channel. And it turned out to be the, the biggest story in California in 2007. I broke it on my blog. The Los Angeles Times followed up a few days later, getting the requisite denial from the mayor. But it turned out that my story was accurate. This runs against the feminist narrative that if women are given freedom to succeed, they will succeed by their own merits. Yeah, I think pretty much every sane, thoughtful person who is familiar with how politics works or with how the world works realizes that when an attractive young woman you know, suddenly achieves uh, power and prestige, completely disconnected to her actual merits and to her actual quality of work, that it's, it's not uh, purely her, her competence that, that is getting her there, right? So she was called Chief Cassidy, right? Other staffers had a derisive attitude towards her. What, what goes on in a workspace where your other co-workers have a derisive attitude towards your sudden ascent to power? It's because it's widely believed that you did not achieve your, your power and your status through conventional means. You did not achieve it through just uh, working hard and being good at your job, right? Uh, Nancy Pelosi staff asked White House aides why she was on legislative meetings. Why did she have a sudden rise to the center of power? Right? How was she so adept at climbing the greasy pole? So during the first Donald Trump impeachment trial, Cassidy Hutchinson grew close to Mark Meadows, right? She was just a legislative affairs staffer. She was just one among dozens, but she suddenly grew close. So how, do, how and why does a young woman suddenly grow close to an older man in power? Because she gives him the adoration that older men want, right? As a man gets older, he becomes more established as he has more of a track record to feel proud of. He starts wanting more and more adoration, and often his wife of 20, 30, 40 years is uh, not going to give it to him nearly as readily as his secretary or some, you know, some young woman who works for him. So I think this is what happens here. So when Mark Meadows was named chief of staff in March 2020, he immediately elevated Cassidy Hutchinson. She became his principal assistant. She was always next to him. She traveled very closely with him. She was flying on the president's plane. She was always by his side. She was showing up to all sorts of meetings where you would not expect someone with her low level of experience to be at. All right? She's going to senior meetings, and she's not senior staff. Right? But she's viewed throughout the White House as speaking for Mark Meadows. She's giving orders on behalf of Mark Meadows. She's saying, Mark wants this. Well, how does she know what Mark wants? Right? She... Uh, she seems to really know what Mark wants, and she seems to have been very adept at giving Mark what he wants. And what older men want, generally speaking, is adoration. And younger women are much more likely to give an older man adoration than their, you know, than older women. Right? Older women, generally speaking, are tired of giving men adoration. What's in it for these adventuresses to flip and to give journos and Democrats what they want? Future employment promise? Feeling of importance, right? I think that's the primary thing that drives us. 
is wanting to feel important. Once we get our rent paid, once we have food, once we have water, once we have shelter and we have clothing, our next most intense need is to feel important. And she is the number one story in America this week. She's being talked about by millions of people. And the people in power are all talking about her. So she gets to feel important. And she probably believes she's saving the republic. Is adoration here a code word for having your weasel greased? Look, there, there are many ways to adore a man. There are many ways that a beautiful young woman can show an older man how much she appreciates him, how she adores him. It doesn't have to just be stampeding, stampeding after the penis. There are, just, there are just so many avenues to, to give pleasure. There are just so many ways to show you know, tender acts of loving kindness. It doesn't have to all be about manipulating the shaft. All right, let's, let's try to elevate our consciousness and appreciate all, all the wonderful ways that we have to give pleasure to each other. Like it, it could just be a glance, an adoring glance. It could, it could be a compliment. It can just be you know, a pat on the shoulder. It can be a peck on the cheek. Or it could be just like grazing his lips with your lips. Just like nibbling inside his lips. Just maybe like gently you know, sliding your, your tongue around in his mouth. Maybe it can be like darting your tongue in and out of his mouth. Maybe it can just be a back massage. Maybe it can just be a handwritten note. There are so many ways to show adoration. I just don't think we, we show enough adoration to, to the people who matter to us. I think... <laughs> It can be allowing the, the older man to wank off into a potted plant while, while you sit there looking adoringly at him. It can just be taking a shower with someone. It can be you know, turning down his sheets. It can be like just putting a chocolate under his pillow. There are so many ways that we can love each other. Let's not just reduce it to like the mere rubbing together of genitals. All right? You, you can let him know how much you appreciate him, how much you respect him, how much you look up to him. You can let him know how much you've learned from him. You can let him know how he's helped you <laughs> become a, a better person, a better Christian, that he's helped you have a closer relationship with the Lord, that you know you know how have a whole new connection with the Lord. You can get on your knees for him, right? You can get on your knees and you can pray to the Lord. You can both get on your knees together and pray to the Lord. You can get on your knees for him and, and show your appreciation in, in so many different visceral ways. It just doesn't have to be in the Monica Lewinsky style. Right? It's not all only about the genitals. There, there are so many ways that we can show love and appreciation and adoration to each other. You can, uh, you can subscribe to Luke Ford's YouTube channel. You can throw down a super chat. Oh, yeah, Christine Blasey Ford, right? How did she benefit from her lies? Oh, I, number one, I didn't know that she was lying. But number two, she got to feel vitally important. Number three, she got to be famous. Number four, she got to connect it to a lot of powerful, 
people who have connections to money. Like she got to be the center of national attention for a week. Yeah. So so people want excitement. All right? People want to feel alive. People want to wow. People want to feel like they're living from the inside. Like have you had that sense in in social interactions that you're kind of on the outside looking in? there are all these people around you who are having a good time but you're just kind of on the outside looking in and don't you really want to be on the inside really living so Cassidy Hutchinson I guarantee you she was really living this week she felt alive like you ever just kind of walk around feeling dead kind of out of it just don't really care nobody really cares about you you don't care about anyone else you know life just sucks well, it's because you're on the outside looking in. But when you get to live on the inside, right? And you get to be part of the inner party, right? What was what was the that movie with uh, Tom Cruise and, and his wife uh, directed by that Jewish guy just before he died, right? About the inner party that had all these, you know, weird uh, sexual rituals. It's just 15 minutes of fame. Ah, but you feel so alive. And it's, it's not going to just be 15 minutes. She aims to go down in history, bro. She aims to save the Republic. Eyes wide shut. Okay. So don't you want to live like the, the inner party in eyes wide shut? Having, you know, amazing sex and amazing interaction. Stanley Kubrick's last movie. Like really getting connected to the, to the inner circle. Right? Most people would love an eyes wide shut experience. They'd love to belong to that club. And people want to feel on the inside. Like, I hate... I hate going to a social event and everyone else seems to be connected, but I'm just kind of on the outside looking in. Like, I hate when I'm, I'm talking to a beautiful young woman and I suddenly realize she's simply being polite to me. She's simply humoring me. All right? She has no interest in, in me. And so... I get the heck out of those conversations or there's a group of people having a passionate conversation and I try to join in and everyone ignores what I say, right? I hate that feeling, right? Don't you want to be part of the popular crowd, the in crowd, right? Cassidy Hutchinson's now part of the popular crowd, the in crowd. Don't you want to go to Epstein Island? <laughs> no, 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 Disavow. That's, that's a bad place. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> Eyes wide shut, got Stanley Kubrick whacked by the New World Order Bill Gates. Disavow. I don't believe that's true. Sorry, Luke, but most young women are only going to humor you at your age. It's true. It's true. But, hey, I can, I can draw inspiration from that Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, the one who presided over the, the Supreme Court, Justice William O. Douglas, right, when he presided over the Supreme Court for the Roe v. Wade hearing. In the early 60s, he married two 22-year-olds, not, not at the same time. Like, he was in his 60s. He married a 22-year-old woman, uh, divorced her, and a couple of years later, married another 22-year-old woman. Like, a beautiful woman, smart. And... Uh, Luke's narcissism is coming out. Well, as long as it's only my narcissism that's coming out, I'll be okay. 
I just don't want to. Who who is the guy, the CNN commentator, who shared a little too much of himself in a, a Zoom meeting? He wrote the book on O.J. Simpson, the, the run of his life. Uh, as long as it's only my narcissism that's coming out. Come on, what's this guy? Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tubin, right? As long as I don't Tubin uh, and only show my narcissism. Yeah, I like adoration, right? I remember the LA Press Club threw, threw a party for me in 2004 to celebrate two of my books coming out. And there were these attractive young women who came over and asked me questions. And I started giving these really lofty answers to, to their questions. But they were just set up, right? They didn't give a toss about my answers. They were just set up to go ask me questions. And then I just bloviated all over them. What's going on under that table? <laughs> Please, I'm a very respectable man. People look up to me. I'm a 19th century Victorian gentleman. I'm just uh, just getting in my my exercises here. It's all on the up and up. I have been no fap since was it uh, June of 2012. Right. So when you meet me, you can shake my hand without any trepidation. John Smith says the office of prime minister should be restricted to Anglicans who confess all 39 articles. Well, the problem is it's very hard to find Anglicans who actually believe <laughs> in <laughs> almost any of the 39 articles, let alone all of them. Luke, as an Australian dissident, as a right-wing and traditional pre-Vatican II Catholic, I'm ashamed that our current Australian Prime Minister, Mr. Albanese, went to my private Catholic school. And uh, John Smith says, I only go through the self-checkout for this reason, because uh, young women are only going to humor you at, at our age. Well, maybe if they were, they were watching Luke Ford live streams, uh, they, they would, they would you know, adore this high-quality, intellectually provocative content. Yeah, that feeling when your mask isn't cool enough to get in the mansion. All right, people want to be cool, right? People want to live in the mansion. People want to live the eyes wide shut life. And fame and power is, is the way you do it. And so, yeah, these, uh, these grip exercises are great. If I don't do them, my thumbs don't work right and my hands start hurting. So you, you need grip strength for, for all sorts of things. Like impudent young people, like you need to have that that power grip. That guy who tried to rape you, it could have been Kavanaugh, right? Yeah, Christine Blasey Ford's fifteen minutes of fame, but she she was known to millions of people, and she she got you know connected. Maybe it's time for TRT. What is TRT? Yeah, you can keep quiet about the hands-on attention you get from. Ron Jeremy. Wow, I'm getting the full Luke Ford experience right now. You're really widening my horizon. You could get a four-plate deadlift within three months. There are so many ways we can show love. Testosterone replacement therapy. Ah, I've got uh, testosterone supplements over here. The problem, though, with testosterone supplements is that you gain weight, and it particularly makes your, your face weird. So... 
who is that slugger, Barry Bonds? Used to be a really skinny kid, and then he started taking hormone replacement therapy, and his face got really weird. So when you take testosterone, your face gets weird. It kind of swells up. Pills don't, no, they do. You get, you get a mate. I know what it's like to just take some testosterone, uh, Chinese medicine, I think, that was a testosterone supplement. And yeah, immediately, immediately started bulking up, and it kind of changed the shape of my face. So if I take testosterone, I'll bulk up 15 pounds, which then it also makes it easier for you to pull muscles. So you're much more likely to tweak things when you're on testosterone. But John says, pills don't do anything. Injections are the only way. IT is correlated with contrarianism and adopting minority viewpoints explains me quite well. I have a Neolithic brow ridge. So yeah, there are definitely some advantages with energy and a feeling of power and assertiveness with testosterone, but it also makes you more prone to anger. So I prefer to go through my life with as little anger as possible, except for in those very rare moments where I can do something about the situation that I'm in. And then the anger can serve me, give me the energy and power I need to resolve a problem immediately. But aside from that, I don't want anger and I don't want lust. So testosterone doesn't really serve me, generally speaking. I'd prefer a life with minimal levels of anger and minimal levels, levels of lust. So yeah, Cassidy Hutchinson travel constantly with Mark Meadows. All right. So if a beautiful young woman is traveling constantly with a guy, you get up to all sorts of mischief when you're traveling that you don't when you're living at home with your wife of 42 years, Debbie Meadows, right? I mean, hotel rooms like the most erotic places on earth. When I, God forbid, God forbid, when I, when I slide into a hotel room, right, and I, I don't have a, a girlfriend with me, I, I don't have a date, God forbid, my mind starts wandering to, like, should I order a woman? I, should, and, and I never do it. I've never patronized a prostitute in my life, but... That's, that's where the mind goes. Now, I guess other people see a hotel room and they just think about studying Talmud. Uh, I mean, particularly like when you're in a place like Montreal, which is just filled with beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women. Wow. I mean, luckily I've attained you know, emotional sobriety and an inner sense of calm where I no need to you know, slake my, my lust to, to feel calm and okay with myself. But uh, those, those impulses to act out, they're still there, one day at a time. In UK, the number of men with tit fat removal surgeries are going through the roof. Oi. <laughs> you got to know how to cycle off the testosterone and see a doctor, not a street pharmacist. Yeah, maybe Cassidy Hutchinson was simply Mark Meadows' tech support. Anthony Albanese's mother was knocked up by an Italian, Italian waiter. She was destitute, lived in public housing. But he was accepted in our school on the basis of Catholic compassion, not on his academic ability. So my dad's mother was a sex and love addict. And it was so embarrassing for my dad and his brother. They had to kind of trail her around Australia, around the east coast of Australia. She pursued relationships with various men, including many who were married. So... Remember, it was December 2006, 
and my on-again, off-again girlfriend, Holly Randall, we were off again in December 2006, and she told me, my, my therapist says I'm a love addict. And I was like immediately transfixed by that term, love addict. And, and I went to the library, and I checked out three books on love addiction. I thought, oh, wow, you know, I think I'm a love addict too. But I didn't do anything about it. I didn't get myself to a 12-step group for another three and a half years. But uh, this this addiction to romantic excitement and romantic thrills and adoration and uh, that, that feeling of being very alive when you're early on in you know, the, the, the relationship, it's, uh, it's quite a high. And even when I was 16, people would tell me, you're in love with being in love. Because, yeah, I was using my addiction to love to feel excited to feel alive it just uh, kind of took me out of my low-grade chronic levels of depression and disconnection and it made me feel alive but you can feel alive through joining healthier groups like 12-step programs or religious communities or yoga communities or live streaming communities there are other ways to feel alive aside from being in some you know passionate romantic sexual relationship if only I could have talked to Cassidy Hutchinson and Mark Meadows, I could have saved them so much heartache. Is there anything corroborating accusations about Trump? Well, I think we all know that Trump is uncouth. I think we all know that Trump has a bad temper. I think we all know that Trump is narcissistic and self-aggrandizing and very childlike. Okay, that's it for now. Bye-bye.